The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. We are going to discuss a very important subject today, the role of NGOs in global business. I have with me Mr. Jim Emerson joining from London. Jim is one of the global experts in the operations of NGOs and their role in society. He has been engaged in development and humanitarian work across the world for more than three decades. In his various roles as global CEO and other multiple roles with several national and international NGOs. Jim has led policy, governance, advocacy, and representative initiatives. He has lived and worked in amazing 69 countries in all the four continents. He will share his experience, which is very extensive, uh, having lived in 69 countries, and the immense amount of knowledge with us today. Welcome, Jim. Thank you, Mahesh. It's a great opportunity to be here with you today, and particularly, I think, uh, this series that you're uh, hosting on global business, it's very wise of you to have understood the importance of the role of global business in relation to NGOs. So thank you very much for this opportunity. Thank you, Jim. Uh, let me start with, uh, if you can please share with our listeners uh, your extensive knowledge and experience, uh, starting with very basic, what's an NGO and their role? What is an NGO? Uh, it's a bit like asking the sort of question of um, how long is a bit of string? <laughs> so if you uh, if you look on the internet, you'll find a definition of the NGO that will come up will be a non-governmental organization is any non-profit voluntary citizens group which is organized on a local, national or international level. Now that doesn't tell you a huge amount um, and it could be almost any organization. But let's have a try. Let's see if we can start to unpack what an NGO is. And first, let's uh, let's let's recognize that they've been around for quite some time. So going back several hundred years, I think probably the first major initiative of a non-governmental organization type structure, even though it wouldn't have been called NGO at that time, would have been the uh, the, the process to abolish slavery, the movement that was uh, that was that was developed to abolish slavery. Um, and then a few hundred years later, so just uh, in the Crimean War, 
Um, you had organizations like Red Cross who were created in order to try and alleviate some of the suffering of, uh, of those affected by the war. So I think this helps us to understand where, where do NGOs come from? So what, what starts them off? And I think there are, there are three main drivers of the, of NGOs. One is to alleviate suffering. So that can be as a result of a, of a major crisis, a natural crisis or a conflict situation or a war. Um, or a major disaster, um, but to alleviate suffering has been a key driver and possibly the most um, the most significant driver of many of the NGOs that have been well established for some time. The second issue uh, issue that would start an NGO possibly is the a recognition or a need to defend a cause, and whether that cause is slavery, as I mentioned earlier, or whether it's children or children with disability. Um, or whether it's a particularly excluded uh, population group, or whether it's the general issue of rights and defending rights, um, or it could be uh, uh, another issue around climate, which has become uh, an important activity of NGOs in recent years, or the defense um, of natural resources. The third th- uh, thing that could uh, stimulate NGO activity would be the need to deliver services. Mm-hmm. So you'll find that a lot of organizations are, are actually just service delivery organizations that provide a particular service to vulnerable populations or to needy groups. And sometimes there will be contractual relationships, so they will be implementing a service on behalf of a government department, um, or they will be self-initiated and self-financed by the organization themselves. I think that uh, when we talk about NGOs, people often think about the big international NGOs and the whole development and aid process. And particularly that sustainable development process, is probably the most recent activity of international NGOs. And I would guess it started around about the 60s, late 60s, 70s, when you had a lot of organizations started to shift their their, their rhetoric and their focus onto um, developing communities and through that also developing, um, uh, helping countries to develop. So that's where, the, where, where do they come from then? There are, as I said, it's like, uh, how long is a bit of string? There are, they are very, very diverse. And that diversity is, is triggered by, I guess, a number of factors. One is size. So how big is the organization? And you can go from a, an organization that has almost no funding, um, to an organization I think the biggest currently, uh, in the world today is probably, um, uh, the organizations like uh, Red Cross or like uh, World Vision, which are getting up into the billions and billions of dollars. So size matters. Um, their geography, are they focused at the local level? Um, are they focused on one country, one community, national level? Um, so that geography and the level within that geography within which their focus distinguishes whether they're international or national. And then there are a number of uh, the, the type of issue that they're working on, whether that be uh, a charitable purpose or whether it be uh, an issue around climate or forests or whatever. I think it's possibly also useful um, to think about the the naming of NGOs. So the, the name non-governmental organization has been around possibly for, well, since the Second World War, since the, since the establishment of the Bretton Woods Institutions and the UN. That's when it came into common uses. But there are other names that we use, and people might recognize these. So you have um, a charity organization is, current, is often used, non-profit or not-for-profit organizations, a private voluntary organization, 
community, uh, a civil society organization or a community-based organizations. Um, they are many different nomenclatures that can be used for describing NGOs. And the boundaries between those different types of organizations are actually quite permeable. And so you can get, you can ask yourself the question, well, is a trade union, which right. could be a civil, a civil society organization, is that an NGO? Generally would not consider them so, but those boundaries are very indistinct and can, and can change. I think it might also be useful just to talk about the different ways that NGOs work. Um, right. and, uh, they, they provide assistance. Um, so they can provide aid or assistance, humanitarian aid. They can campaign to try and influence, and that influencing may be to change the system, maybe to change policy. It may simply be to raise awareness around an issue. They often work to build capacity, so to mobilize populations, to empower them, to, uh, to build technical skills and knowledge through training. They may be a, an expert in a particular technical area and they provide and share that ex technical expertise with, uh, with others. Or they may be set up simply to deliver uh, services either as a contractor or on behalf of their own goals. But there are, that in a, in a roundabout way, uh, Mahesh is a, is a way of describing the complexity of this uh, rather simple term non-governmental organization. Um, which says what they are not. It doesn't say what they are. So I hope I've been able to give some idea of what they are and recognize that there are millions of them. Um, right. And we all know the sort of household uh, names that we're all familiar with, the big Save the Children's, the Oxfam's, the Red Cross. Um, and they tend to dominate the discourse around NGOs. But I think we should also make sure we don't forget the, the, the millions and millions and millions of small organizations of highly motivated and highly committed individuals that are trying to do something worthwhile in their local community or local society. So what you're saying is, uh, I definitely realize with what you said, uh, they're playing a very important role for past many decades, maybe more than 100 years. To uh, they, There are many more than what appears on the surface, like the big ones. Yes, they are. Yeah, and and uh, these guys are quietly working at the grassroots level. They are working with people, societies, businesses <clears throat> to make societies more livable and enhancing the lifestyle of people and yes. uh, developing services for business, what they need in terms of uh, the developed communities to support the economics of the area, which can result in the upliftment of the whole region. Yes, and the ambitions of NGOs can be uh, can be very very high and very significant. Um, but a lot of the smaller organisations will be rather limited in what would what would be their their, their goals and their objectives. Right. And I think this probably brings up another issue, which uh, which is important to talk about uh, over the some of the the evolution of NGOs, particularly over the last fifty, sixty, seventy years. When we, uh, because initially a lot of NGOs would have been relatively small, single issue, focused on one uh, particular geography, and gradually they have grown. And they've grown within themselves, um, but they've also grown in complexity because they've joined up in others or they've created spin-off uh, associate, associates in, in, in other countries. And that has given rise to a, a massive increase in the complexity of running these, what are now global federations or confederations or alliances or networks of organizations 
and that adds a whole new dimension to the to the aspect of uh, of, of, of NGOs. Uh-huh. Yeah, but I I see uh, you know I I see a very valid point which you mentioned definitely. Uh, the larger ones have larger muscle; they have they, they have more financial strength to do it. But equally important are the smaller ones in a smaller region what they're doing. They're also they may be very focused, maybe even just in a village, not at an international level, but they're uplifting the society. Absolutely, and and they are essential. Um, and as I said, we we need to make sure that we that we keep our eye on these organizations. They are often the organizations that provide uh, major insights into what's happening in very local areas. They are often the initiators of, uh, of, uh, of innovation, of new ways of working, of new ways of, uh, of reaching populations. Um, so it is important that we keep an eye on the on the smaller organizations. And I think it's part of the role of the of the larger organizations, whether they be national or whether they be international, and possibly as we start to get into the discussion of the role of businesses and corporates. Um, they need to be nurtured and they need to be given space and they need to be helped to connect so that they're by joining their voices. Um, so for instance, there is a, there is, a, there is a, there are many, many organizations in the forests of the Congo, um, working to, uh, to, 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 on, on forestry and management of natural resources. Um, and networking those together can have a significant impact on their, their voice and their ability to influence at a national level. Aha. Uh-huh. That's a very good point. Jim, uh, thank you so much for giving such a nice and precise insight into NGOs. We'll be taking a short break now and we'll be back shortly. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Welcome back. You're listening to Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. We have with us Mr. Jim Emerson from London, 
discussing the role of NGOs in global business. Jim, interesting discussion uh, in the first segment. Now, you, you explained very well the role of NGOs and about the NGOs. Now, over the years, would you say the role of NGOs has evolved as, you know, the whole world has also moved from industrial era to digital era, the so-called, and uh, uh, what would be the future for NGOs? Yes, I mean, evolution is a, we can't avoid evolution. The world around us is changing, and the circumstances within which we operate and the types of challenges that we see ahead of us um, are changing, and so naturally they will change. If we just think about what's happening in the world over the last, uh, over the past years and the increase in globalization, the, the recognition of the interdependence and the complexity of global systems, whether they be natural systems or whether they be our, uh, economic systems or, or political systems. Um, there's also a recognition increasingly that we are reaching the edge of uh, the phrase which has been developed over the last few years, planetary boundaries. So climate uh, change and global warming, um, environmental issues. So all of those issues are becoming much more um, prominent in the discourse uh, around development and aid and NGOs. And affected because they, they, they have to, we have to adjust our, our, our conceptions of what development is. I think we all recognize that if the whole world was to start consuming to the levels that we consume currently in Europe and in North America, um, then we would very quickly uh, surpass the planetary boundaries of the, of, of this, of this world and we'd be in serious problems. But looking a little bit further on, we've seen uh, over the last 50, 60 years, and bearing in mind that NGOs have been around for some time, we've seen the end of colonialism, um, and that has changed completely the dynamics. So the end of colonialism not only brought with it uh, a liberation of many countries across Asia, Latin America, and, and Africa, but also it brought uh, I mean, significantly number, a significantly greater number of states, of nation-states, um, but the whole concept of sovereignty of those nation states has started to change as you get more uh, actors in the global world, then the need for them to work together on various issues um, increases. And so we had the creation of the UN and various things. We've also seen the end of communism and that whole dynamic that we saw during the Cold War years, so the dynamic between the capitalist system, the Western world and the communist world um, has disappeared. Um, but increasingly over recent years, particularly as we see the, um, the Occupy movements and the issues around uh, uh, concerns around capitalism and the future of that. And because of the, 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 the number of countries and national identities and number of players in the global system at present, then there's also a much greater diversification of the interests and the perspectives around what we're working towards and what are the drivers and what are the goals. And the increase in, uh, in democratic uh, countries and states around the world also increases the demand for, for rights and for voice. So NGOs, of course, have to respond to that sort of environment. Um, and at the same time, NGOs have been successful in the old environment. They have been providing good services and they've been able to generate resources and relationships with, uh, with both the general public in terms of increasing revenues, but also in relation to other institutional donors, particularly your bilateral or multilateral government um, funding mechanisms. So they've got bigger and they've got much more complex. And as I was talking just before the break, 
Um, they have created associates and they've created, we now have massive, very complex global organizations that are governed, that have complex government, governance structures and have all the management challenges that you would see facing a major corporation in running a global operation um, and trying to deliver services efficiently and effectively across very vast geographies. But that has led to um, some concerns around the um, uh, around the sector, um, and uh, there has been there is increasing scrutiny. Um, and are these big, big, big uh, organisations the most effective in delivering uh, the the services they require? Uh-huh. Do they still have the legitimacy of a, a small local organisation that is responding to a local need in direct daily contact with the local populations? has a high level of legitimacy and an ability to talk on behalf of the communities that they are serving. When NGOs have got bigger, then that perception around their legitimacy to represent either the South or the poor uh, or whatever is uh, is often challenged. And uh, it is not as easy to maintain um, the confidence um, and the, the support for, for, for that um, in different markets. Um, so that is... Um, there, there, there has been a real evolution in that in terms of uh, uh, getting big, getting complex, greater scrutiny. Um, and as we see the a multiplication in the number of NGOs, then you also start to get increased competition, particularly competition on the fundraising side and in the, uh, in the markets where we are raising funds. Um, but I think also one of the things that we have been noticing over the last few years is the... Um, the blurring of the boundary. So if you go back 20, 30 years, you will have seen that there were quite separate types of NGOs. You would have your humanitarian organization that responds with aid and assistance and disasters and responses. Mm-hmm. You would have your organizations that were more involved in long-term development and sustainable development programs. You had your organizations that were involved in rights and justice issues, your amnesties. Um, and you had your organizations like your Greenpeace and, uh, and, and, and World, Worldwide Fund for Nature that were involved more in environment or climate or natural resource uh, issues. So you had very distinct boundaries between these tips, different types of organizations. But I think what we have seen, uh, particularly over the last 20 years, 25 years, is that those boundaries have become less clear. And many organizations do both humanitarian and disaster work. And you will find that an organization that... Uh, 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 that, that, that like Amnesty International that worked exclusively at one point on political rights starts to go into social rights and so you start to get into some crossover with development organizations. And so we're recognizing that all of these various elements, issues around natural resource management, issues around rights and justice, issues around development, issues around aid and assistance, the boundaries between those are less clear. And so you see organizations are, are no longer as distinct as they used to be. And the challenges that we face increasingly, I think we recognize that they are, that they are bigger than any one organization and that no organization can handle them. And they're bigger than, uh, than one organization. Their geographies are bigger. Their complexity is bigger. Um, and I think that leads on to uh, the, the whole point of this discussion to look at NGOs and businesses. I think we're also recognizing that it's not that whilst NGOs have started to, to get bigger and to collaborate more, there is a recognition that if we really want to address the global issues that we are facing today that cross geographical boundaries, that cross the whole world in many cases, um, 
then we need more collaboration with 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 other actors and particularly with the uh, with the, with the business sector. And I think we're seeing, um, along with those changes in the NGO sector. Now, I'm not expert on on businesses, so correct me, Miles, if I'm wrong. But there are businesses have also become more global, and we've seen the rise of the multinational corporation. And many of those organisations are now bigger than individual states. And to some extent, they have denationalized, if that's the right word, so they can shift their national identity, and particularly where they're registered for taxation or whatever. That can shift relatively easily these days, and, and, and that is done frequently. I think the pressure on corporations to deliver bottom-line benefits to shareholders has increased significantly in the shorter time horizons, and the quarterly reporting demands that they have has, 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 uh, has affected them. Um, and I think the balance between, if you think about the corporations have various clients, so you have your shareholders, you have your staff, and you have your, your, your customers. Um, and I think the balance of relationships and accountabilities towards those and responsibilities towards each of those types of clients has shifted, and we've seen a greater um, uh, focus on the on the shareholder as the key driver of, uh, of, of business decision making. But I think what we're also seeing is, uh, is is two rather positive trends that are that that help the alignment of the business sector with NGOs. And one is the demand for good business. And there are many efforts around that, and we've seen the Global Compact, the UN Global Compact Initiative that has taken place, and various um, uh, self-agreed uh, so um, standards that uh, that, that, can, that uh, corporates need to uh, adhere to. Some of that is driven by government standards and regulations, but some of it is done on a voluntary basis. But we're also seeing a significant increase in the power of the consumer and the ability of the consumer, and particularly in the last uh, in the last decade with the rise of uh, social media, the ability of the uh, of the consumer to be able to influence corporates because you can very quickly raise a lot of noise um, uh, that can that can detract from uh, um, uh, that can that can affect an organisation quite significantly. So all those changes that are, that are taking place, I think, has in, in increased the overall complexity, um, but has also made it increasingly clear, I think, to all of us who are working for the betterment of this world, increasingly clear to us that we need to be working in collaboration and cooperation with, uh, with different types of actors um, and developing shared goals and, uh, and, and strategies together to, to make this world a better place. Very well said. Thank you, Jim. Would you say the way things have moved, that uh, the role of NGOs is growing, and uh, even in the recent past, I've noticed the, the interaction between NGOs and global business has improved. And... Uh, I, I can say that there has been a lot of change. Now, it's in the present day, the NGOs, they, they are working together with the businesses. They're building strategic alliances to, to do things which improve the society. And uh, yeah. to give you some examples to share with you, uh, the, the Nature Conservancy and Home Depot Partnership, they, they collaborated in Indonesia to combat illegal logging, and they promoted sustainable timber harvesting, which is a pretty neat initiative. Similarly, the World Wildlife Fund joined with Unilever 
to create the Marine Stewardship Council system for regulating the fishings. What do you see as the role of NGOs while interacting with global businesses? When I say global businesses, it could be either individual businesses or the global business systems. Um, I think, as I said earlier, I think there is, a, there is increasingly a recognition that uh, the business sector needs the NGOs and the NGOs need the business sector. So the NGOs are recognizing that the the goals and objectives which to attain cannot be achieved simply by NGO activity alone, nor they can, can they be achieved by uh, NGOs working with governments. So I, uh, if you look back over, over, the, over the past decades, if you look at the real transformation of many societies, and I, I'm particularly uh, interested in, in, in Africa and the development there and how corporates have and businesses, global business system, through its investment and through its outreach and through its, uh, its, its, its sales of services that are of value um, to, 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 to populations, has significantly raised the level of the economy of nations, but also the economies of communities and uh, rural communities. Um, so the investment in the, from the private sector has probably had a greater impact on on the economic performance of communities and individuals and countries, and as a result of that has improved health uh, uh, situations and education situations and all sorts of other things. So a recognition that, uh, that the perceptions in the past were that we had different agendas and we were competitors and potentially we were enemies of each other in terms of uh, what our goals and objectives were. I think increasingly we recognize that that is no longer the case and that there is room for, 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 for working together and for collaboration. Fantastic. Thank you, Jim. Uh, and uh, we'll be taking a short break now and we will be back shortly. Thank you. Jim, I'm going to... Uh Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market.
Welcome back. You are listening to Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. We have with us Mr. Jim Emerson, and we are discussing the role of NGOs in global business. Jim, you provided great insights into NGOs and how uh, it has evolved over a period of time. Can you throw some light on what does it take to build a partnership between two different type of entities like businesses and NGOs? And what could make it last? A very good question, Mahesh. I, I think um, the sort of first prerequisite for any sort of relationship building is a desire to have a relationship. So there has to be an interest in building relationships both on the side of the NGO and on the side of the business. As we mentioned earlier, I think in, in the first part of the program, we talked about the certain hostility uh, or a nuisance factor in the um, in the relationship between NGOs and the and the corporates. The NGO was seen as against the system, as a nuisance or even an enemy. Um, but I think we are seen in recent years, particularly, a move towards the potential partnerships. But I think we uh, we also before I get into sort of talking about what what are the sort of prerequisites for the sort of partnerships we are talking to let, talking about let's recognize the existing relationships between corporates and NGOs there is a massive amount of business that takes place between corporates and uh, and NGOs just do you think about a, a major humanitarian disaster and the amount of procurement and logistic support and all sorts of other things telecommunications many of which are provided on a for-profit basis um, or a reduced margin basis um, to the organization. So there are relationships already established that are solid, um, that have built trust over time. So I think we have, uh, where you have uh, uh, NGOs and businesses working together in a business way, um, you already have a very good, solid foundation. Now what's in it then? If we say that we want to build a relationship, what's in it for the NGOs? Um, traditionally, NGOs have seen corporates as a source of funds, so donations, material support or in-kind support. Um, but I think also we need to recognize that uh, if we look at the uh, the number of staff who have come into NGOs from corporate sector over, over recent years, particularly in the, the number of CEOs and senior people who have been hired in, uh, as I mentioned earlier, we have complex governance structures and management structures, and there has been a, a shift of staff in, so we've relied on corporates for that. There is all the issues around the need for professionalization and management and systems that is uh, that, that NGOs need, and they've relied on advice from the corporate sector for that and system support. On the business side, there is a desire to enhance branding and reputation um, and to reach out to and possibly learn about new potential markets and new customers at the bottom of the pyramid. Um, there's uh, access to local knowledge. But there's also increasingly, I think, a desire, and we see this through the UN Global Compact and the number of companies that are signing up for that, there is a desire for, for good business. And many organizations recognize that having uh, a relationship with a good NGO, a good relationship with a good NGO, is good for staff motivation and staff retention. But it's not easy because we do have very different cultures. Um, just when you talk about decisiveness and speed, very different approaches to that in the NGO and the business sector. Issues of hierarchy and ownership and command and control. One of the things that I've heard many executives that have come into the sector from the business sector 
And uh, one of their frustrations is that, well, everybody in the NGO owns the organization. You can't just tell them what to do because right. they feel that they are part of the organization um, because of their connection with mission and vision of the organization. We have a very different way and a less uh, easy way of managing the bottom line. So the bottom line for a company is relatively easy to manage. Um, but the bottom line in terms of delivering impact from NGOs is very complex, something we have not yet cracked as a, as a sector. And that leads to issues around performance management. But there are um, very good, good examples. So I think in terms of your question was what do we, what do we need in order to build a, a partnership and how do we make sure that it is lasting? Right. The first point is I think uh, we need to know, both sides of the relationship need to know what do they want. Um, if you don't know what you want, then uh, don't don't bother trying to find it. Um, and part of the input to that is uh, is the generation of good ideas, um, and that's not easy always to come up with good ideas. But also outlining and being very clear about what is the what is it that we want to achieve together. What do we require from the other entity, um, and what is the value proposition associated with that? And can we measure that? And can we articulate that? And can we communicate that effectively? So knowing what you want is the first step. I think then knowing your potential partner or your partner. So NGOs need to make a, a real big effort to get to know the, uh, the, 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 the corporate partner and vice versa, the corporate partner needs to get to know the NGO. Is the chemistry right? Are there complementary skills and approaches of working? Um, is it a good relationship? Is what we are looking to do together, is there some sort of strategic alignment between what the corporation is involved in and what we as an NGO are, are involved in? So you take, uh, for instance, the, the Thames Water Authority here in London, which is responsible for providing um, portable water to the, to, to the population here, has worked out a relationship with WaterAid International. Um, they are both organizations concerned about water, and there's immediately there a certain amount of alignment, and you can see that many of the relationships uh, develop that way from uh, a very clear strategic alignment. I think both partners need to recognize that it requires a lot of time and a lot of patience. It's like getting married. Um, a long engagement is usually a good thing. It's one step at a time. And don't jump into the big project immediately start with small projects and build on success. Learn from mistakes, learn from failure. There will be discouraged, uh, there will be areas of, of conflict as well, of misunderstanding, of getting to know each other. That always happens. So time and patience are absolutely essential for, for building uh, relationships. And associated with that and uh, very close to it is the issue of building trust and being open. So not hiding things. Being very clear upfront what you want from the relationship, uh, what your expectations are, what your offer is to the other party, um, and building mechanisms together to resolve differences, to raise the differences, to talk about the differences, and then to find a solution for the differences. I think uh, a joint and a mutual and a very honest risk assessment is absolutely essential. Often the risk assessment is focused externally. Um, on implementing a certain activity together and reaching certain goals. But there's also the internal risks. And uh, an overnight shift in the market can seriously upset uh, a corporation and maybe commitments that they had made, financial commitments to support a long-term project with, a, with an NGO, are suddenly um, under question. 
that the resources may no longer be available or it may no longer be the best way to use the resources. And those shifts in priorities, and they can come from both sides. Um, that mutual risk assessment, I think, is, uh, is very important. Um, and I think it's very important, certainly from the point of view of the, of the NGO towards the, um, the, the, the corporate, to understand the different pressures that they are under. And it's probably a mutual uh, understanding. So the pressures on, a, on, a, on an executive, a senior officer in, a, in an NGO and in a, a corporate organization are quite different. So pressures from your, from your shareholders, pressures from uh, regulatory bodies or whatever, and the pressures that the, uh, the NGO finds. So understanding what is it that's driving decision-making, what is it that's driving day-to-day -day uh, uh, priorities, um, I think that's important. And once you've got all of that ready, I mean, being very, very clear about what it is you are going to do together. What is the goal? And do you have a solid plan with clarity around roles, clarity around inputs and outputs and outcomes? Um, how is the relationship going to end or the project going to end? Um, are we flexible enough and do we trust each other enough to, to recognize that a good project, if it's well designed, cannot simply go from beginning to end without adjustment and without some adaptation to changing circumstances? So have we built in those mechanisms? Um, and it's about partnership, not contracting. So this is not the uh, either the NGO contracting the corporate to deliver certain services for them or vice versa. The corporate contract in the NGO. This is about a partnership. It's a two-way relationship and building the mechanisms to maintain that and maintain the communication. Communication is absolutely essential in this. And along with your clear plan goes clear metrics and responsibilities. And I think what uh, the experience would tell us over the last few years where we have had successful, and there are quite a number of successful partnerships, they are usually very simple. The one I just mentioned around um, water aid with the Thames Water Authority in the UK very simple concept. You look at the issues between Marks and Spencers and Oxfam and their swapping, they call it. So the ability to recycle clothing um, and get benefits from that. The community, the, the relationship you have between um, Macmillan, the cancer research organization in the UK, and Boots, the chemist in the UK. Also, uh, very simple issues around raising awareness on cancer, simple treatment, and using frontline uh, shop uh, uh, personnel from Boots to be able to pass through messages and counseling and other issues related to cancer. So I think those uh, those points, um, knowing what you want, knowing your partner, strategic alignment, time and patience, building trust, clear goals and plans and metrics, and keeping the issue simple, I think they are probably uh, the key factors in building these partnerships. Perfect. I agree with you. That's a very good insight. And you know, in the corporate NGO partnership barometer, I think it is four or five years or maybe more than that, the relationship between Marks and Spencer and uh, Oxfam has been mentioned as one of the most admired ones. And there could be some lessons to learn there, that how they have built such an admirable relationship and um, what should a company, the NGO, do to build such relationship. And uh, we will be uh, taking a short break uh, Jim, and uh, we, when we come back, we'll discuss further. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? 
Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Welcome back. You are listening to Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. We are here with uh, Mr. Jim Emerson from London, having a very interesting discussion on the role of NGOs in global business. Jim, uh, great piece of information on collaboration between the businesses and NGOs. Uh, want to share some examples uh, on the same lines, like Carbon Trust. In, in, in the UK is helping the business community to move towards a low carbon economy. And they have helped companies in building uh, climate change strategies. They give small businesses free energy audits to help them out and no interest loans for energy efficient equipment. Similarly, if you look at Conservation International, uh, they helped Alcoa to add biodiversity conservation into its environmental policies. It also advised Starbucks on sustainable issues related to coffee. And uh, if you look at Environmental Defense Fund, in 1990, they collaborated with McDonald's, which eventually ended the company's use of foam plastic sandwich boxes. That's kind of amazing how they're working together. If you look at Green, yep. green Blue, uh, they work with private sector to make manufactured goods and systems more environmentally sustainable. And uh, if you look at uh, someone like Rocky Mountain Institute, uh, they work with companies who want to explore innovative ideas in energy efficiency, transportation, buildings, and energy generation. And they have worked with uh, Johnson Controls and provided analytical expertise to improve energy efficiency in the New York's tallest buildings. Now, that's, that's a very good contribution to society and energy conservation. They've also worked with Walmart in, uh, in redesigning the whole trucking system to cut down the fuel usage. And uh, also, they worked with uh, HP 
to remodel the data center operations and made it the world's greenest data center. That's kind of good uh, feedback coming from industry and uh, NGO collaboration. Now, Jim, uh, share with us, what would you say are the top five things you would suggest that one must know about the corporate and NGO partnerships? I think following on from your, your examples, Mahesh, which are, are all very interesting, is to recognize, first of all, the opportunity that, that is out there um, for collaboration and cooperation. Um, and to paraphrase the, the Spider-Man movie with great... Uh, with great opportunity comes great responsibility. I think we, we all have a, a responsibility at this point in time, both corporate actors and NGO actors, to seek out opportunities for cross-sectoral collaboration because, as you just pointed out with all of those examples, they are all adding a huge amount of value. So I think that's the first thing is let's get beyond our sector and let's recognize it's only when we are working in collaboration. And I would add on to that also with the, uh, with the public sector governments, the three sectors need to be working much more closely together so as we can resolve the issues. All the problems that we are facing are bigger than one organization and bigger than one sector. I think the second point is that a recognition, and you pointed out there uh, with several of the examples um, on the Environmental Defense Fund at McDonald's, for example, in getting rid of the polystyrene uh, trays for their food, there is real business value and there is real mission value from an NGO point of view in these partnerships. So they are not just an add-on, they're not a little bit of corporate social responsibility. It used to be a little bit of a side function of the organization. I think we now recognize that it's an integral part of the organization and even the term has changed and we now talk about corporate sustainability rather than corporate, uh, uh, rather than CSR. Um, so I think uh, recognizing that there is a real value from a business perspective and from a, a, a mission perspective from the NGO point of view, um, but that it takes a lot of work in identifying those opportunities and building joint structures um, to, in order to realize those opportunities is not going to be easy and requires patience and all points that I mentioned earlier on. Um, but it does allow us to think beyond the boundaries of our own organization at this point in time and think a little bit bigger and take things to scale. And that is, I think, is a key uh, aspect of a good partnership between NGOs and private sector is that you can get good ideas and take them to scale. Which leads into a, a third point, which is getting beyond self-interest. Um, and I think we passed that hurdle, but we need to keep it uh, on our radar screen and make sure that self-interest is not driving the relationship. Either self-interest from the point of view of the NGO um, in terms of resources, uh, revenues um, from the organization, or from the point of view of the, uh, of the corporate actor in terms of building uh, reputation, whatever. This is beyond self-interest. This is looking at um, good business is good for society. Um, good societies are good for, 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 for business. They go hand in hand. A healthy and educated workforce uh, is good for business. Um, an economically secure and economically active uh, population is good for business because they, they become customers. So this is going beyond the immediate interest, but it's about using the combined efforts of various actors together to, to build a better society. Um, that is good for all parties. Um, 
and I think they would be the uh, the, the, the the main points of this. So uh, a good solid building re relationship between NGOs and uh, corporates and the public sector um, is is absolutely essential if we are to build the sort of global society um, that we wish to build and if we are to resolve some of the major challenges around planetary boundaries, around climate, around resource, natural resource management, particularly around trafficking, um, around uh, disaster response and migration issues. All of these issues are massive. They affect people, they affect corporations, they affect governments, they affect international relations, and it's only when all three sectors, the public sector, the private sector, and the civil society sector, the third sector, are working together in effective partnerships that we are going to be able to address and deal with many of these issues. Well, thank you, Jim. This is great information. And uh, I want to share with our listeners a few unique data points about uh, the contribution of NGO, which is immense. Uh, if NGOs were a country, they would have the fifth largest economy in the world, as per John Hopkins University. And also from another university, Walden, 80% of global citizens agree that non-governmental organizations make it easy to be involved in positive social change. That's amazing. Great reputation. And as per HR Council, uh, three out of four employees in NGO sector are female. If you look at what they do, how they do, and the diversity, and their acceptance, looks like NGOs are doing a wonderful work, and there's a great opportunity for businesses to work with NGO and enhance in their, get, I would say they're already trying to fulfill their social responsibility that may help them in multiplying the effect of it and enhancing uh, the social benefits they are trying to provide to the society. So Jim, I really thank you. It has been a great discussion and uh, you brought in a very important and uh, a very nice subject of NGOs, how they can be leveraged for businesses to work with them for upliftment of society, provide social benefits, and deliver their social responsibilities. Jim, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you very much, Mahesh. I hope we've been able to put a very important issue on the agenda and stimulate further discussion on this important topic. Definitely, yes, and thank you so much. again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. 
For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.